The reading is from John chapter 20, starting at verse 19, and you'll find it on page 1093 of the Church Bibles. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Pip, thank you for reading for us, and a very happy Easter to one and all. It would be a great help to me and to you if you kept your Bibles open there, page 1093. And let me just begin by leading us in a short prayer. Some words of Jesus from John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Father God, thank you that Jesus came to bring and give life. Thank you for his death and resurrection. Please now, as we listen to these truths once again, give us all ears to hear that we might marvel afresh at our risen Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, fake news seems to be an ever-present reality, doesn't it? We were just praying for those in Russia, and I imagine one of the reasons life's so tough in Russia at the moment is you don't, you don't know what to believe. You, you struggle to tell fake news 
from real news. How do you know who to, to listen to? So much of life is surrounded with uncertainty, but not so the Bible. We can be confident Jesus is alive. He really is alive, and it's not just a bare fact. It is a truth that transforms. A truth that transforms. The first a big difference the resurrection makes is it brings peace and purpose. If you've got the outline, you'll see that they're in front of you. Peace and purpose in verses 19 to 23. John outlines that for us as the first big thing the resurrection achieves. I don't know if it struck you, but aren't Jesus' first words to his disciples absolutely wonderful? On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Peace. Isn't it exactly what they need? I don't know about you, but I'd be terrified if I was one of those disciples. We can picture them huddled together in a room with the door locked, terrified. They too will end up on a cross. Will they be next? Rounded up on false charges, nailed to a piece of wood and left to die? And then somehow Jesus passes through the locked doors and appears to them alive and well. Perhaps thoughts are beginning to bubble up in their minds. What's he going to do? We all deserted him. We denied him. What's he going to say? Peace be with you. Somehow I think that phrase has been robbed of its impact by the uh, caricature of the village vicar. As if it's nothing more than a, a wet greeting. Peace be with you. No, they are words of deep reassurance for these trembling disciples Jesus tells them peace with God has now been achieved through his death and resurrection they don't need to fear not the authorities not one another and certainly not Jesus his resurrection reassures these disciples of a restored relationship with God uh, just look down with me again and you see how uh, John puts verse 20 in between Jesus saying peace to them, Jesus shows his hands and his side, not only to prove it's actually him, but John's telling us the cross is what secures our peace. God's just, settled anger at our rebellion has been dealt with. Maybe we're aware we need forgiveness, we all do. We know we've not lived for God as we should. Well, Easter rings with the tremendous news. There is peace with God through Jesus. And not just peace, but purpose. Look with me again at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone... It is withheld. Now, Jesus breathes on them now to show what will happen to them after he's returned to the Father and sent the Spirit. 
Jesus is going to resource his disciples by giving them the Holy Spirit. And at verse 23, he'll help them speak of Jesus as they announce the finished work of Jesus Christ. So those who respond have their sins forgiven. Those who reject don't. Jesus sends them out to continue God's plan, equipped by the Spirit to share the gospel and bring forgiveness and eternal life to a desperately needy world. But for those at first 10 in that locked room, did you spot their initial attempt to tell someone about Jesus isn't a roaring success? Uh, John gives us the account of the first person the disciples testify to. It's Thomas, and he won't believe. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And so our second truth this morning, at verses 24 to 29, we see disbelief dispelled. Jesus gives peace and purpose, but what if you weren't there? Uh, I certainly wasn't there. You weren't there. But also Thomas wasn't. Well, we're not told why. But what's clear is we need to learn from Thomas. I don't know when you last had one of those that's great for you moments. You know when you've had a rubbish day at work and your mate comes over to tell you they've just been given a promotion? That's great for you, you say with a forced smile. Uh, your child's got another warning letter from the head teacher, and a friend of yours casually mentions how all her children have scholarships, A-stars, grade 8 distinctions, they're school sports captain, and they're polite at home. <laughs> that's great for you, you say. I imagine that's a little bit like what Thomas is going through. He's often referred to as doubting Thomas, but a read through John's Gospel will make us a little more sympathetic. He, he's one of the twelve. He's been with Jesus from the beginning. He's seen the miracles, heard all the teaching. It's not a doubt from ignorance. Back in chapter 11, Thomas is even prepared to die with Jesus. It's not the, the doubt of a coward afraid of the truth. Now, the problem for Thomas is he, he simply missed the first Easter Sunday resurrection appearance. The other disciples claim to have seen him, but for Thomas, the doubts linger. Just imagine someone uh, comes up to you in the centre of town and they're, they're gasping for breath and say, it's crazy, it's crazy. They're, the Bentley and Lamborghini dealership up on the industrial estate, they're, they're giving away free cars. And we probably wouldn't believe it. At the very least, we, we might want to check it out for ourselves. But don't we all express doubt when something totally out of the blue, totally out of our framework of thinking happens? But did you notice Thomas is not so much a doubter as not believing? It's willful. I wonder if you spotted that. Thomas doesn't say, I cannot believe, but I will never believe. He refuses to believe the eyewitness testimony of the other disciples. Could that be said of you? Thomas refuses to believe, and so he, he makes demands, demands even more than the other disciples got. They saw he wants to touch. He wants to make, it, make sure it's the same physical Jesus he knew before. 
They may be unreasonable demands, but they're great news for us because of the firm foundation they lay. Verse 26, eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I wonder how Thomas would be feeling at this point. I imagine that if uh, you're drawing a comic strip, you'd have a big kind of gulp over his head. And if that's the case, what a relief Jesus' first words would have been again. Peace be with you. Thomas wants proof and he gets it. Again, the disciples are still behind a locked door, echoing verse 19. And then, just as before, Jesus is standing before them. And Jesus proceeds to answer each one of Thomas's concerns exactly. In verse 25, Thomas demands to see in Jesus' hands the mark of the nails, to place his finger into the mark of the nails, to place his hand into Jesus' side. And just look what Jesus says in verse 27. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Seeing is believing for Thomas. That was the foundation for faith then. Throughout this whole chapter, there's been this big emphasis on seeing the physical risen Lord Jesus. And here's the climax Finally, reality catches up with Thomas. And so he's left with with the inescapable conclusion, verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. John doesn't tell us whether Thomas did touch Jesus' hands and side. The implication is seeing was enough. And in stunned amazement and awe, he lets out one of the greatest proclamations in the Bible. Thomas is given cast iron, rock-solid evidence he cannot escape. And he realizes Jesus is God over the whole universe, over him, over you, over me, over everyone who's ever lived. And Jesus had been his teacher. He had had respect and admiration for Jesus. He had even been prepared to die with him. But this is a whole new level. And what I love about it is it's so, it's so personal, My Lord, my God. It is astounding. Thomas is convinced Jesus is God. It's a brilliant model response, isn't it? Whilst Thomas's demands are wrong, his response isn't. There should be no doubt in our minds the risen Jesus is Lord and God. He should be my Lord and my God, your Lord. And your God. And the resurrection proves it. He is Lord, boss, ruler. And we should submit to him in every area of our lives. John's inviting us to join with Thomas in professing the risen Lord Jesus as our Lord, our God. We have a crucified Saviour. Yes, there's no doubt he actually died. It is finished, the price is paid. But we also have a risen, living saviour. We can be completely confident the price is paid. We can be utterly sure he is God. 
And for Thomas, he's able to have a firm faith because he, he gets to see Jesus for himself. He, he literally gets the facts before his very eyes. And what about us, though? Uh, living 2,000 years too late, uh, 2,000 miles away from where this all happened, how can we make the sort of declaration Je- uh, Thomas does? If I had that kind of evidence, well, of course I'd believe, we might think. If Jesus walked into my office, I'm sure I get a lot more of my colleagues along to the next evangelistic event. Well, the foundation for Thomas's faith was seeing and touching, but Jesus rebukes him. You see, the apostolic testimony should have been enough for him. He should have already believed. Jesus had said he's the resurrection and the life. For them, seeing was believing, but it's no longer the case. We can't be in Thomas's position, but the basis for belief Jesus expects is still the same. And it brings us on to our final theme, biblical belief. Biblical belief. Maybe we spotted the rebuke Jesus gives in verse 29. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus doesn't pour cold water on Thomas's great profession of faith. He does say, though, he got his principles all wrong. Now, Thomas sees Jesus and believes he's God. Jesus commends even more those who believe in him without physically seeing him. If the firm foundation for faith then was seeing is believing, well, the, the kind of biblical basis for bold belief now is hearing is believing. Jesus says sight is no longer necessary. We can have the same response as Thomas. But how? Well, the answer comes in verses 30 and 31. Just look with me again at those verses. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So often a a faithful but generic Easter talk goes something along the lines of this. Jesus is alive. Hooray. That is true. It is good news. We need to hear it. But there's more, isn't there? So we could add Jesus is alive and he's defeated death. He's guaranteed our forgiveness. He's paid the price for our sin. He's brought peace with God. He's adopted us into his family. He's victorious. He's the Christ. He's God. But there's even more, isn't there? It's not just that Jesus is alive. It's not just that he's won the victory. There are witnesses. And there are witnesses we can listen to. In verse 29, Jesus tells us we too can be blessed. Hearing is believing. It's no less historical. No less based on hard evidence. No less believable. And what John is writing for, what John wants in his readers, in us here today, is bold belief. Courageous, certain conviction for us to be completely confident in the eyewitness account. Now for those who play sport, every now and again, you might do an amazing trick shot, but no one has seen it. You ever done something like that? Uh, You pot all the balls at the break. Uh, You score a goal from a corner. You fire down five aces in a row. A great piece of skill but no one's ever going to believe you did it. Uh, What about, though, if all your mates saw? 
What if someone happens to be videoing on their mobile and posts it online? Uh, what if it then goes viral? That is beginning to get at what's going on here. Now, we mustn't give in to historical snobbery to think we're, we're more enlightened now. Because this happened so long ago, well, they must have made it up. Now, Thomas demands proof, and he gets it. Jesus demands a response from Thomas, verse 27, and gets it. And John, the author, demands a response from us. Did you notice what he wants? These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants us to believe. That word just means to trust, to, to rely, to depend upon, to put all of our weight on something or someone. Whether we're already a believer or still investigating, John wants us to believe Jesus is the Christ. He's God's appointed king. He is no less than the Son of God. And it's not a belief that makes no difference, like I believe that Marmite tastes terrible. It does. Now, now this, is, this is a belief that brings life. It is eternal life at stake. Jesus has already said before God, we're all condemned. We're all spiritually dead, facing physical death and separation from God forever. But life, life comes through belief, which comes through the word. And so we can have rock-solid, cast-iron confidence. And just listen to what John says, a chapter either side of these uh, verses. You can glance over, chapter 19, verse 35. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. Or just over in chapter 21, verse 24. This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who's written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. This really is reliable. Often people think the uh, Indiana Jones crossing that massive chasm, do you know, in the film, that's a kind of great example of faith. And John will have none of it. Now, the logic's clear in verse 31. The witnessed word leads to belief in Jesus, which leads to life in his name. Now, the whole thrust of the gospel is shown in verse 31, that we believe the eyewitness account written down for us. Well, as we close, I've got three groups of people in mind to help us think through, to help us earth what John is saying here. We've already seen the reason John's writing is so we believe. And so I want to turn first to the already confident and convinced Christian. We might be sitting here thinking, yes, I, yes Tom, I absolutely agree 100%. I know Jesus rose from the dead. I believe the eyewitness accounts. Well, if that is you, keep believing the apostles' words. And believers need to keep believing. We keep confessing day by day Jesus as our Lord, our God. And we do it by coming back to the apostolic eyewitnesses again and again. Do we have a robust confidence in God's word? It'll be shown in where we turn. And we turn to the Bible to have our doubts dealt with. And we turn to the Bible to be reminded of the peace with God we have. And we turn to the Bible to know the gospel is true. We, we turn to the Bible to see 
Jesus. And if we're doing that, then we'll be getting on with telling others about Jesus. And we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and by pointing people to Jesus in the Bible. Next, there's a word for the confused or questioning Christian. To that person, John would say, have your confidence restored. Thank God for Thomas. He demands the proof all of us need to hear. And God knew there would be people like us born, in a sense, 2,000 years too late. Praise God for the reliable eyewitness accounts written down for us. I don't know what it is that might shake your trust in Jesus. But what a great place this passage is to come back to, to be reassured. These things are written down so that we might believe. Jesus really is alive. Don't be alarmed if other people won't believe in Jesus. If people won't believe the apostolic message, it's not because of a lack of evidence. Like Thomas, it's not I cannot, but I will never believe. If they won't believe the Bible, they won't believe even if they were here or Jesus uh, were here, if, if they were there rather. We can have that cast iron rock solid confidence. Jesus is alive, even though we haven't seen him with our own eyes. And then finally, there's a word to the curious, perhaps even critical non-Christian. It is a great day to come along to church, Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is a great day to be at church, but particularly Easter Sunday. It may be you're still quite circumspect about all of this. And well, we've got the eyewitness account. You have heard. What will you make of it? Believing in King Jesus gives life because he's already died on the cross, taking the punishment our rebellion deserves. Uh, we can know his death pays for sin precisely because he rose again. And so believing in Jesus is not like believing in fairies or the Easter bunny or, or anything like that. No, it's, it's much more like trusting uh, a lifeboat will save you from a sinking ship. The way you show you believe is by stepping off the sinking ship into the lifeboat. In the same way, real belief in Jesus means we'll throw ourselves on his mercy, trusting we can have life, not because of anything we've done or can do, but only because of Jesus' death. Remember what's at stake, life in his name. Eternal life. Abundant life. Life only found in Jesus. He is the source, the center, the focus of this life. He is the resurrection and the life. And here's the proof. Death is not the end. And how do we know? Well, John could have said Jesus is alive, so believe, but he doesn't. What he says is the eyewitness testimony has been written down, declaring Jesus is alive, so believe. And actually it gives us a lot more confidence, doesn't it? It moves Jesus' resurrection from the realm of opinion to historical fact. And we will only believe Jesus rose from the dead if we believe what the Bible says. Will you? Jesus said, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Let's pray together.
Father God, we thank you so much Jesus is alive. Thank you that because of his death and resurrection, we can now have true, lasting peace with you. We ask that you would help us to respond like Thomas and daily confess Jesus to be my Lord and my God. Thank you that we can be utterly sure Jesus is alive, even though we weren't there. Thank you that we have the trustworthy apostolic eyewitness accounts written down so we may believe. And thank you that for all who believe, there is life in Jesus. That death has not won. We need not fear the grave. Would this Easter be one in which we come to treasure Jesus and his death and resurrection more and more? And would we be desperate to make the good news of that first Easter known that others too would come to have peace and blessing and life in Jesus' name? And we ask it all in his name and for your glory. Amen.